I don't know about you, but I've really been encouraged by our reading of Revelation recently. Uh, And it's been really great to hear people say things like, I've actually found it easier to understand Revelation than I thought I would. Uh, That's wonderful. And I hope that all of us here are experiencing that. Sorry, let's just flick back to the right slide. There we go. Um, I hope that everyone is, say, is saying that as they kind of read Revelation in on Sundays on church, uh, but also in our gospel teams as we explore it together. Uh, but I also find, hope that you're finding that it does still take some hard work to read the book of Revelation. Its, it's message might be easier to hear than you thought, but there are still some things that are hard to understand in Revelation, if not many things. Sometimes we need to remember stuff from earlier chapters to understand the one we're reading right now. Or we might need to spend a bit more time thinking about those images to work out what they mean here or there. But let me encourage you, when it comes to God's word, hard work brings great reward. The joy of hearing him speak. The joy of knowing him more and then knowing how to please him more. So please be willing to put in the hard work as we continue to read Revelation and follow along as you go, as we go in your Bible. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your scriptures. We thank you that they are parts that give wonderful encouragement, but we also thank you for, we also thank you for the ones that give us great challenge and that remind us of difficult realities. Father, please humble us. Help us to hear your words and respond to them rightly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's get our heads back into the book of Revelation and what we've seen the last few weeks. Uh, The first thing to remember is, don't forget, Revelation is all about the gospel. It's about the gospel and it's about trusting in Jesus, just like the rest of the New Testament. If you're new to the book of Revelation, you might know, you might have realized that it sounds different to the rest of the New Testament. And in many ways, it is. But the message is exactly the same. Jesus wins. He is victorious. He is Savior and Lord. Trust him. And don't give up as you wait for him to return. Now tonight we're up to chapter 15. We have been looking at verses chapters 12 to 14. These last few weeks we've seen dragons and and beasts and strange things going on. But this week... It's a new beginning. What we read before, chapter 15 plus 16, we get a new vision and more strange images. And just like earlier in Revelation, uh, we get another set of seven. Early in Revelation, we had the seven seals on a scroll. We had seven trumpets blown by seven angels. Now, seven bowls. Seven bowls of God's wrath. And this time... This time, this set of seven focuses very much on the very end. In fact, from now on, Revelation focuses very much on the very end of time for the rest of the chapters. Earlier chapters in Revelation, they might have been explaining from Jesus' first coming when he came and was born and lived and died and rose again until his second coming when he comes in glory to judge. They may have been talking about that whole span of history, but now... Revelation turns and focuses very much on the end. The visions start to focus on the final judgment, the final day, and the eternal realities of heaven and hell. 
So come with me. Uh, let's see what God has to say for us in chapters 15 and 16. We'll, chart, we'll start with chapter 15, verse 1. So have a look there. Then I saw another great and awe-inspiring sign in heaven, seven angels with the seven last plagues, for with them God's wrath will be completed. There you go. That verse is the summary of these two chapters. What are we going to see? We're going to see seven angels with seven plagues, and they complete the wrath of God. It's worth pausing and, ask, pausing and asking, what is the wrath of God? It might be a phrase that you're used to hearing, or it might not. God's wrath is his righteous anger. His righteous anger, which means that he rightly punishes people, humans, for their sin. And that's what sin is, rebellion. Rebellion against God. It's refusing to know and worship the God who made everything and who made you. And that rightly deserves God's wrath. Refusing to live the way that he says is good and right. And so God, as creator and king over all, well, he's rightly angry at human sin. And so God must and God does punish sin. And his punishment is just. It is not unfair, the scriptures tell us. That's what God's wrath is. And this verse says that these seven plagues, with them, God's wrath will be complete. Everything that needs to be done will be done. Every sin will be dealt with. Fully, finally, and justly. That's the picture we get in these chapters. A picture of the very end. Of the final judgment day of wrath finished and completed. And God does this with seven plagues. And this is meant to remind us of the exodus. Of the time when God saved his people, Israel, out of slavery in Egypt. Do you remember? He sent these horrible plagues, ten of them, onto the Egyptians. And he saved and brought his people out of Egypt with Moses leading them. You can read it for yourself in Exodus, the second book of the Bible. Already in these verses, we're meant to be reminded of those plagues that God sent on Egypt, his enemies. But then, after this summary verse, this opening verse, then we actually don't get the plagues yet. Before John actually sees these seven plagues of God's wrath, he sees something else. He sees something wonderful and encouraging. He sees the grace of God. Have a look at verse 2. He says, Those who had won the victory over the beast, his image, and the number of his name. We met these, uh, be- we met these, these beasts, the, the second beast in chapter 13. And he represents what, if you remember? Uh, he represents the state religious establishment, the, the priests and prophets of the Roman emperors and other oppressive leaders throughout history since then. And what was the goal of this beast, of these men back in the day? Well, it was to deceive the world, to deceive the, everyone into worshipping the first beast who represented the emperor of Rome and every oppressive leader after him through history. But John sees this crowd of people who have won the victory, 
won the victory over all this, over these beasts. That is, they were faithful to Jesus in the face of oppression. They didn't bow their knee to worship a man who is not God. They didn't give in to persecution, but trusted Jesus to the end. And so now they are with God. They are celebrating in God's heavenly throne room. There's a sea that looks like glass and fire. There is harps and celebration. There is singing. That's what they do together. Something so simple and so wonderful that we still can't do, which is very frustrating. They sing, look at verse 3, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. There's another reminder of the Exodus. Did you see it? God sent Moses to lead his people out of Israel. God parted the Red Sea and brought Israel through to safety. And then, led by Moses, they sang a song of victory, a song of praise to God for his grace and his mighty acts. So just as Moses and Israel, they were saved and they sing God's praise, so here, those who trust in Jesus the Lamb, they are saved. And so they sing God's praise. They are saved from God's coming wrath. They are in heaven and God's wrath falls on earth. So they sing this song. Look at, look at it with me, verse 3. They call God the Lord, the Almighty, the King of the nations. He's the one who rules over all. They praise him for his great and awe-inspiring works and his righteous and true ways. They sing in verse 4, Everyone should and everyone will fear and worship you, God, because of your righteous acts, because of your salvation, because we are in God's heavenly throne room, they say, but also the mighty acts of his judgment, which are about to come. See, why does John see this vision of heaven before he then sees the seven plagues? Jesus shows this vision to John first on purpose. Before John sees the seven plagues of God's wrath, he sees the people who receive God's grace, those who are shielded from his wrath, those who are with him for eternity. And so the message is, those with Jesus are victorious. They are saved. They are protected. They are shielded from the coming judgment of God. They will be with him rejoicing and singing his praise forever. If you trust in Jesus, this is your future. If you know the lamb who was slain for you, you have nothing to fear about the coming wrath of God, about his final judgment. You will be with him and with all faithful believers. So with this wonderful encouragement, the vision then turns back to the seven plagues of God's wrath. And if you look over verses 5 to 8 with me, uh, just for a moment, what do we see there, verses 5 to 8? We see angels coming out of God's heavenly sanctuary or his temple in heaven. We see bowls filled with wrath of God. What's the point of all that? Well, these seven angels with these seven bowls, these plagues that we're about to see, The point is, they come from the glory and power of God. 
They come from his sanctuary, his temple, his throne room in heaven. They are his wrath poured out on the world. And then we get chapter 16, which we didn't read before. We get chapter 16 and we see these seven bowls of God's wrath poured out. And yet again in Revelation, as we've seen, it's gruesome. It's confronting, it's uncomfortable, and it's God's righteous anger on human sin. We didn't read out chapter 16 before, so please have it open with you and look at the verses with me. Please don't switch off now. Please keep working hard to understand Revelation together. First, we get bowls 1 to 5, and they kind of sit together, where we see God's wrath poured out on all the earth. So look at verse 1. A loud voice of chapter 16. A loud voice. Probably God himself says to the angels, go and pour out these seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. God's people are safe with him. That's amazing. But people on earth are not. And so this is really a picture of the final and terrible judgment on the whole earth. The plagues that come from these bowls affect everyone. All the world. All those who are enemies of God. And we're just going to look at them briefly. They're they're very stark and confronting images. Look at verse 2. The first bowl is poured out on the land, the earth, and people break out in painful sores all over them. The second bowl is poured out on the seas. They turn to blood and all life in the sea dies. And so humanity's food source has been affected. Verse 4. The third bowl is poured out on rivers and springs, on fresh water, And so what does humanity drink now? Verse 8, the fourth bowl is poured out on the sun and fire burns everyone. Verse 10, the fifth bowl is a bit different. It's poured out on the throne of the beast and his power is taken. So he and everyone who follow him go down into the despair of darkness. You see what's happening The whole world, all the elements are affected by God's judgment. And all people, everyone who worships the beast, worships a man, instead of worshipping God, are affected. It's universal. And it's horrible. In verse 10, they gnaw their tongues because of their pain and distress. That's how awful the wrath of God is here. So why this awful picture, this description of God's wrath? Why these plagues? What are they trying to show us? There's two things that this is showing us, apart from the fact of just how awful God's wrath is and how bad it will be. Apart from that, it has two things to show us. Number one, it is deserved. Look at verse 5 and 6 with me. The third angel pours his bowl out on the fresh water. It turns to blood. And then verse 5, the angel says, You are righteous, God. You are righteous. You are just. You only do what is right. Who is and who was the Holy One. He is pure and totally free from sin. For you have decided these things, these bowls of wrath, these plagues. And then comes the reason, verse 6. 
Because they poured out, because they, those who worship the beast, poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, God's people, you also gave them blood to drink. They deserve it. This is justice according to God. It's the punishment that fits the crime. As humanity rebels and reviles against the God who made them, as they say, we want to rule our own lives and do whatever we want, and we want to worship human powers and kings, and especially as they persecute God's people, as they pour out the blood of the saints, they are storing up God's righteous anger against them. And as we see here, that day of justice will come. Regardless of whether people think they are good or not, regardless of how we might feel about this, God is holy and he is just. We are not. Our sin is more gross, more wrong, more sinful than we think it is. The clear and consistent teaching of the Bible is that our sin against God is far bigger a deal than we could ever imagine. To take the worship and glory that belongs rightly to the God who made everything and made us, the most glorious and wonderful and loving and powerful being who has ever been, to take the glory that should belong to him and give it to something else or someone else. God says that rightly deserves his terrible wrath, his judgment. And so whatever punishment God has in store for our world, it is just. It is deserved. That's the first thing we see here. And if we're not convinced that it's deserved and that people could just be good or better if we gave them a chance, then look at the second thing we see. Even though humanity faces God's wrath, humanity continues to hate God. Look at verse 9 with me. After four plagues, after facing four bowls of God's wrath, what does humanity do? Look at verse 9. So they blasphemed the name of God who had the power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. And then again, after plague number 5, look at verse 11. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, yet they did not repent of their actions. What is blasphemy? Blasphemy is when you speak carelessly of God, as if you were his equal. Or worse, it's when you speak evil of him and revile against him, as if you are better than him. You are above him. So here, humanity pours out their hate on God. They lift themselves up above God and they blaspheme him instead of humbling themselves under him and repenting. Even as they suffer his righteous anger, even as they're getting what they deserve, they do not humble themselves. They do not repent and give God the glory he deserves. That's how hard the human heart is. Apart from Christ, that's what humanity, that's what we are like. But that's not the end. God's wrath is not yet complete in this passage. So if you've tuned out for any reason, then please tune back in now for the home last stretch. Uh, Look at the last part of our passage. This is bowl six and seven. 
the final battle and wrath completed. Now these verses, let me be up front, take a turn for the weirder, uh, if that's even possible, right? There are many strange images, and, and people have debated the meaning of these images and these words time and time again, but let's look at them now and see what we can find out. We get this picture of a rally to battle. First of all, look at verse 12. The, the sixth angel, he pours out his bowl on the Euphrates River, which was nearby where they were, and it dries up suddenly. Verse 13, frog-like demons appear. I told you it got weirder. And verse 14, those frog demons go out into all the earth and they gather all the kings of the earth, all the armies, and they come across the dry river, because they can now, and they come to a place called Armageddon, and they gather for battle there. Armageddon means the city or plain of Megiddo, uh, which was apparently a place in Israel where significant battles were fought. And so we have this symbol of a huge army gathered together for a very significant battle. Satan and his minions, they draw together the armies of humanity for what appears to be a war against God. They're all ready for a fight. The battle is about to begin, but then look at verse 17. What happens? Verse 17, the seventh angel pours out his bowl And a loud voice comes out of the sanctuary from the throne. This is the voice of God himself. It is done. Then if you look at verse 18 and 19 and 20 and 21, chaos breaks loose. There is no battle. There is no war against God. No, instead his judgment falls and there is total destruction. Storms and earthquakes, cities crumbling to pieces, islands and mountains are just wiped away. Enormous hailstones fall and crush people. And again, just at the very end there, people refuse to repent. And they blaspheme God because of it all. What's going on here? What does this image, this battle mean? As I said before, people have come up with all kinds of interpretations for these verses. We don't have time to go into them all. But there's two big things going on here. Number one, here we have a picture of the fall of Rome, the city of Rome. You know, in one sense, this chapter and a lot of Revelation is talking about the fall of Rome and the Roman Empire. The key verse is verse 19. Have a look there. Partway through verse 19, it says, Babylon the Great was remembered in God's presence, but not in a good way. So God gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger. Who is Babylon the Great? You might remember, she's come up before, she'll come up again. Babylon is a symbol of human immorality and opposition to God. So Babylon becomes code for the city of Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, the center of immorality and opposition to God. So in one sense, this chapter is predicting the fall of the great Roman Empire. The city of Rome will fall. And as John wrote to these Christians in the first century, well, it was the Romans that persecuted them. And so this was a message of comfort. So the message of Revelation to these Christians was that the Roman Empire will fall. Whatever assault they try to bring against God or try to bring against God's people... It will not prevail. 
it will not win. And the Roman Empire, as powerful as it was, well, it came to an end, didn't it? History tells us. But this is not just a picture of the fall of Rome. It's also, number two, a picture of the fall of all evil. Babylon is not just a symbol of Rome. It's a symbol of all human powers, all empires that oppose God and his people. And so the message of this chapter to all Christians is God gets the final victory. Evil will not win in the end. The power of Satan and the the wisdom or power of humanity cannot stand against the God of the universe. And so when Jesus returns, or as it says in verse 14, on the great day of God Almighty, on that day they will receive God's righteous anger, full and complete wrath, and they don't stand a chance. They cannot win. That's the point for us. Whatever evil rises up to challenge God or oppress his people, in the end, on the last day, they won't stand a chance. There won't even be a battle. God will simply declare, it is done. And they will come to their just end. In the end, God's seven bowls of wrath will be poured out. His wrath will be complete, finished. Everything that needs to be done will be done. Every sin will be dealt with fully, finally, and justly. It's another frightening frightening and confronting part of the book of Revelation, isn't it? But as we bring it together and kind of come to a close, let's think, what do these chapters have to teach us? What does God want his people to see in these words? I think this passage is meant to be, one, a great comfort for believers, two, a great encouragement, and three, a great reminder. So number one, this is meant to be a great comfort for God's people. There is lots of doom and gloom in this passage. But remember the beginning of chapter 15. God's people are around his throne in heaven, celebrating and singing his praises. They are protected, they are saved, they are shielded from God's coming wrath. That's the future that we look forward to if we trust in Jesus. Praise God, we have nothing to fear on the day of his wrath, on the great day of God Almighty. What an encouragement for us. What a, what a great comfort for us. Number two, this is meant to be a great encouragement to us. It's a great encouragement to see things the way God sees them, to see that it is right for God to pour out his wrath on the earth. It is right for him to vindicate his people who have been persecuted. It's an encouragement to give God the praise he deserves. What do the saints say? We saw it back at the beginning of the passage. It's on the screen. The saints in heaven say, Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. We praise God for his salvation. Yes, always. But it's also right to praise him for his work of justice. God's great and awe-inspiring works are both salvation and wrath. Grace and judgment. Both are his righteous and true ways. 
And so you have to ask yourself, do, do you see things that way? Do you praise God for this? Even as his wrath makes us squirm or uncomfortable, we must recognize that it is right. The problem is not with God's wrath. The problem is with us. We need to praise God that he is the good and righteous judge. That's the encouragement of this passage. And number three, and finally, this is meant to be a clear reminder to God's people to be ready. We didn't read it before in chapter 16, but Jesus actually personally interrupts this story. I don't know if you've seen it before. Look at chapter 16, verse 15. John mentions the great day of God Almighty, and then all of a sudden Jesus decides, I need to interrupt the story at this point. I need to say something. He speaks up. Look at verse 15, unannounced. Look, I am coming like a thief. The one who is alert and remains clothed so that he may not go around naked and people see his shame is blessed. I don't know about you, but I still sometimes have those dreams of, you know, you're somehow caught in public and you forgot to get dressed that day. Uh, You know, you're in the classroom or you're here at church. That would be awkward. Um, and you've somehow forgotten to put your clothes on, and it's, it's shameful, and it's embarrassing, and, and in the dream you can't seem to run fast enough to get away, and dreams are awful sometimes, aren't they? That's the picture here. This is a clear reminder. Reminder: Jesus says, I'm coming like a thief. When does a thief come? What time? You don't know, do you? That's the point. A thief could come at any time and they don't tell you because they don't want to tell you. Jesus says, I come like a thief. I could return at any moment. The final judgment, the great day of God Almighty could be at any time. Are you alert? Are you awake? Jesus says. Are you dressed and ready instead of being naked and exposed? In other words, are you trusting in me, Jesus says? Are you persevering in your faith? Are you living for me? See, the message of this passage is the same as every chapter we've seen in Revelation so far. Jesus wins. He will save his people. He will judge the earth. So keep trusting Jesus. Persevere in your faith. Don't give up. Be ready for him to return. Be ready for the great day of God Almighty when God's wrath will be poured out and will be complete. So brothers and sisters, be ready. Keep trusting Jesus and living for him. But let me finish with this. Maybe you're here and you know that you are not ready for Jesus' return or you're not sure. For you, please hear the warning of Jesus' words here. One day, any day, the Lord Jesus will return in glory to judge all people. Those who have repented and turned to him will be forgiven and saved and spend eternity with God and with one another in celebration and joy. It will be wonderful. But if you refuse to repent, if you continue to live against God, then you will face the righteous anger of God the wrath of God that we see in this chapter. So our plea to you is to be ready for Jesus to return. Turn to him, the one who died for your sin and rose again so that you could be saved from the righteous anger of God 
that is coming. Call out to him in faith and trust. Confess your sin and accept his offer of salvation, of forgiveness and eternal life. Let's pray. Great and awe-inspiring are your works, Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Father, please fill us with awe at your works, your salvation and your judgment, your grace and your wrath. And please help us to respond rightly to this vision of the end. Please help us to always be ready for our Lord Jesus to return and for your righteous judgment. In the meantime, please help us all, each one of us, to persevere in our faith and help us to long for the day of your salvation and the day of your justice. Amen.